Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. And we're back in the studio. We got another episode mm-hmm. uh, with a good friend. Yes. We got uh, yes. Mike Branley. He One is of our uh, favorites. Joining us remotely. Mike, are you hooked up? Trina, thank you. You're welcome. And Sean, great to be with you guys again. How's everybody out your way? We're doing awesome. Yeah. We're yes, doing sir. awesome. We got uh, got some great weather. It's, uh, <laughs> we got some allergy season going on in Kansas yeah. City. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's that too. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, thought everybody outside, everybody right? was crying so because it's so beautiful outside. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Turns out that's not right. That's uh, not it. No, it is yeah. that time of year. Everything's in bloom right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had uh, here in Ohio, we had 80-some degrees Saturday and Sunday. Woke up this morning at 30 degrees. Oh, wow. Um, supposed to warm back up towards the end of the week here, so... Uh, we've had, uh, if, if you like any particular weather, just stick around Ohio for a, a week or so, you will have it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. when I, uh, I'm from Oklahoma, as you know, originally, and um, a lot of those states out here in the Midwest, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. It'll mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. We've had it. So, Mike, but, uh, one thing that's big in this area is hunting for morel mushrooms. Yes, yes, morel yes. Morel mushrooms. Do they do that? Oh. Is that a big thing in Ohio? Very big, very big. Uh, the, the guys, are, you know, if you get, what is it, enough rain and then sunshine the next day or something uh, or two days, then you then you go hunting. Yep, uh, you need two days of humidity is what you actually need. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. yes, I remember as a kid, my uh, parents would, or my dad particularly, would say, hey, we're going, we're going hunting. And I said, what are, what are we hunting? And he said, well, I'll show you. <laughs> and get a bucket full or something. Oh, my goodness, some good eating. You won't. Uh, that, you won't need oh. the gun. No. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> exactly. We needed a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly yep. enough. So. We, I actually went out last night, Sean. Um, my house backs up to woods, and uh, we've built a fire pit back towards the woods. And I was out there around the fire pit last night, looking around the wood, the wood line, seeing if there's anything to be seen. Do any good? No. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Swing. But you're going to keep an eye. I, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess I guess they tend they they come up really quick too. They do, and they're gone really quick. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's like a three day window that you have. Like going out in nature and just playing real life whack a mole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just pop up and they disappear again. <laughs> yeah. You got to be right on it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm waiting on this mushroom to pop back up. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's got me twice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, I I do recall it being, uh, you know, there being a window of time we had to get right out there because if we waited another day, and then it wouldn't be uh, near as nearly as fruitful. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the topic today wasn't necessarily mushrooms, but we've talked about that in the past. We have several people in the company that are wildlife biologists or um, habitat specialists that are out in the woods all the time. And they said, well, you know, there's there's some things you look for in topography and landscapes. Uh, and I, I don't remember now. I think it's a south-facing slope. 
um, a little Uh-oh. bit of dampness or something. Different types of trees, variety of trees, and, and I don't remember what those trees are. But if you start Googling that, there are helpful hints that will tell you, here's kind of, if, if you have a farm and it's undulating or it's it's got rolling terrain on it, look for, you know, maybe the south side slope that's a, you know, has a little bit of moisture content or it's kind of a little bit darker with spots of shade and sun and these type of trees that you may have a pretty good harvest of, of morel mushrooms there. Yeah. South makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but I would think South you'd have more heat or more, more sun, but, um, I guess I'm not surprised there's a science to it. Yeah. Well, as a guy, you know, that grew up on, on a lot of red meat and potatoes and, you know, all that stuff that, uh, uh, obviously leads you on the path to bypass surgery. I I should have had more fungus in my diet. Yeah. More fungus, (laughs) more fungi. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to be a fun guy. Fun guy. There it is. Guys. There it is. Well, Mike, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh of course you you write your your articles are are usually spot on and and there's things whether it's um sometimes you're, you you don't always get to be the the bearer of great news, you know, but the <laughs> but the news is accurate. Yes. It's like, I love, you know, when I was growing up, I used to hear that old adage all the time. Don't let my data get in the way of your argument, you know? <laughs> so these are, whether you agree with it or not, this is a case and now it's become case law. Now it's, now it is in the books here and uh, people are going to refer back to that to justify uh, future actions, you know, future future events out here, they're going to refer back right. to. Well, is there any case law on that? Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And precisely. Uh, so I appreciate just just your experience and your expertise. And one of the things that that kind of uh, tickled my fancy here lately that you had written about was centralized list of bad bidders. Mm-hmm. And right. To, to get that, about- go ahead. I did write about that and uh, differentiating from, and we can talk about this, uh, maybe an individual auctioneer having a list, you having a list, Sean or Trina, versus a centralized plan, which I think has more issues than, say, you just having a personal of um, you've had problems with. Yeah. So the the thing that I was most excited about whenever I read this is I have spent, and, and now I'll be very transparent, in the last four years, I have at different intervals, my wife and I have talked about, and I've even strategized, and went as far as talking to legal counsel. Uh, I bought a URL one time that was badbitter.com or badbitter.us.com. I, I don't remember. I've let it go since then. In two different events, attorneys that I I trust, they said, well, they said, I, I understand your frustration, and I know the problem you're trying to solve, but I'd be very careful about doing that mm-hmm. because there are consumer protection laws or con- laws that um, for privacy, yes. privacy laws, that's the word I'm looking for, that say if somebody entrusts you with certain information, that does not give you the right to share it with other people, and it may be as what you would think as as somewhat you know innocuous just um, useless information of an address right. mm-hmm. or a phone number or 
a blacked out but the last four digits of a credit card number or something. Because a lot of that stuff you can go into white pages and I, I can look up Trina Turner in, in a town and, and find her address. Maybe I can pay and find her phone number <clears throat> or her email address. Yeah. But there's there's an agreement between you and that bidder that says that you're going to you're going to hold that stuff. Um, you're going to and, protect their and information. Protect yeah. it mm-hmm. and not disseminate that to the masses, regardless of what they do. And, uh, you know, in our industry, Mike, and I'm, I'm going to shut up and let you talk about this a little bit because you're, you're the guy, you're the expertise that's been, you know, looking at this and dealing with it. But it makes our industry very difficult when you have a known scoundrel that you can't share with other auctioneers and say, watch out for this guy or gal. They just took me for a thousand bucks. Well, we do have those discussions from uh, Facebook to uh, auctioneers, you know, I might call another auctioneer in town and say, Hey, I had a real problem with, with Billy here. So you got to keep an eye out for him. Um, We might be at a convention or a seminar and discuss, you know, have you had, trouble with this guy. I had trouble with him or her for that matter. Um, so we do tend to share names at least, but then as you, as you so discussed here uh, early on, these guys are changing the name or, or, uh, using different names or disguising identities and things. They get, they're getting pretty creative. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. So let's, let's get the ball rolling here. We're, we're on Facebook and, and you had mentioned Billy, you know, just as a random name. I don't know how many Billies there are in and around Kansas City, but it's going to be a lot. Yeah, I know, like so, eight off the top of my head, eight. <laughs> Trina knows eight on her yeah. drive in this morning. Yes. So, um, you, so obviously we're being more descript than that. Yes. We're, yeah. we're, we're, it's, it's not just Billy. It's, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to share with you this address and this, you know, mm-hmm. here's contact information and maybe the IP address and the phone number. I'm sharing things with you, and let's say we do that on a Facebook page. How is yep. that different from plugging them into a centralized list? Where Because the whole intent is you're trying to share that experience with a lot of other auctioneers and flag that person from re- being a repeat offender. It's not terribly different than sharing it otherwise, quite frankly. I think the downside of a centralized list in my opinion, the downsides outweigh the, the positives, is that then this list is considered fact mm-hmm. when it may not be fact, or it may just be one auctioneer's opinion. And I, the bidder doesn't always know. In fact, I suspect the bidder maybe never knows who reported him or her. How does he get off the list? Can he talk to someone about it if he gets off the list for example, is he still, you know, do does this central list is another auctioneer copy it and paste it and print it and put it on the wall. Yeah. Well, if I'm off the list now, I'm not off this other guy's list because he printed it. So I'm still on his list. And, you know, it just, it just doesn't, it, the other thing that bothers me about the centralized list, if it's black and white is you're either good or bad. Yeah. And, and oftentimes there's circumstances. You know, my mother was in the hospital. I, I, I couldn't pay you until I got back from Utah or whatever. Um, you know, and, and I don't see a lot of circumstances tied to the banning or blacklist or whatever you want to call it. You know, why? I want to know why. And 
if it's if it's individual auctioneers, for example, we do it. I'm not. I don't have anything to hide here. We we use an online platform, and if we if the guy doesn't pay or contact or what have you, we ban him. Yeah. But they know to call me, and we can discuss it. And I think that piece maybe gets a little muddled when it's in a centralized list. You know, I had an auction over by Topeka, Kansas, one time. This has been a few years ago. Registered bidder. Uh, woman and either daughter or granddaughter, but she, but she was older. You know, this was um, late teens. I'm going to say the girl. Um, this woman had registered for the auction, bid on a few items, bought a few items, but then we look over to the side of the yard over there, and she had pulled her car up a little bit closer and was just taking stuff off of the yeah. tables um, <laughs> and putting it in the trunk of the car that she knows that she didn't buy. Huh. So she was literally just right in front stealing of everybody. Every, yeah. She was stealing stuff off of the tables. Um, so we I confronted did, I, her. We went over and talked to her and said, ma'am, do you think you bought that? And she goes, uh, well, it, 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 if, if nobody's taken it, I, I was going to take it high. I said, no, you can't just pick stuff up and take it home. Yeah. Um, you could tell in visiting with her because she got heated really quick, which is a telltale sign that she knows she's in the wrong. Right. Um, people that are confused or... Um, you know, more often than not, people that are genuinely confused, they're almost embarrassed or they understand they did something wrong. Uh, this woman wanted to become combative. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it, it just, you, she got caught red-handed. She didn't like that. So that person is, you know, let's call, let's call it what it is. That person is a thief. That person yeah. will show up yeah. at public sales and say, oh, by the way, if you don't keep your eyes on her, she'll steal stuff she'll out of your away. auction. Yeah. How do I share that with people that are in and around that region or that area? Um, and, and that's at the root of what a list, if we call it a website, a centralized list, or where, you know, we, we have to figure out how to build in something that's, that's, uh, that can just get the word out and put people on notice. I think in, I think in that example, a centralized list might work better or be appropriate for that in that it's crystal clear that she's not a good auction customer, bidder, buyer, uh, attendee. And uh, so we need to, uh, maybe it's appropriate to, to disclose that and, and, and notify other auctioneers in the area, you know, maybe not nationwide, but at least in the immediate area at a minimum, hey, watch out for her because she takes stuff, you know, and, and I caught her red handed as you, as you suggested. Um, it's not always that clear. And I, I, I just wonder with this centralized list, if, you know, the guy just, uh, he changed numbers and yeah, the auctioneer said, yeah, I called 16 times. He never answered. Well, yeah, I got a different cell phone. I got a different number or whatever. I don't know that that still happens, but, um, uh, that's why you didn't reach me. Uh, or I had a health problem or I, my mother died or, you know, how is that handled in that list any differently? And and I would offer if it's not handled any differently, then there's a flaw in that centralized list. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. We've had that happen. <clears throat> Some equipment uh, sold the equipment, and a guy went radio silent on us, and we were frustrated. Um, sure. And even got to the point where we're getting ready to resell that equipment two, three weeks down the road. That guy had a heart attack right after that auction and had been in the hospital and been unresponsive, yeah. you know, because of the the procedure he was going through. 
But once it healed up, you know, and he got to the point where he is, uh, he's, he's oh, kind of cognizant again. He's, yeah. he's like, hey, I, I need to get a hold of this company. I bought yeah. this, I bought this thing the other day, and they're probably looking for me. And uh, yeah. that's yeah. not a bad guy. So that is somebody that could get flagged as a bad bidder, and they're really not a bad bidder. They're just um, it was circumstances. Mm-hmm. And and like eBay, maybe I've had a bad experience with a seller, so I post that I've had a bad experience. I give them a one star or whatever you do, but then I don't post any good news about this person. Uh, we've all looked at eBay and looked at a seller and seen a bad comment, but we've seen 300 good comments yeah. to the one. And I don't know if this bad bidder list has any comment that follow up and say, Oh, by the way, we talked to him and now um, everything's good. In fact, he's bought at the last three auctions. He's paid right away. He's been a, a really good customer. I don't, I don't know. I suspect not. Well, Mike, here's, here's the thing that I would pose to you. And, and I'm going to still advocate that a centralized list out there, because here's the thing, the industry, as you know, is moving towards online bidding platforms Mm -hmm. that whether we like it, I'm a, I'm a live outcry auctioneer as are you. And, you know, you've been an, an instructor of that and run an auction school and, I, I know that's the reason why we got in the business, but whether we like it or not, the industry's headed more towards convenience and online bidding platforms. Right. As, as this continues to evolve, this is going to become a, a larger and larger issue. People can drop in and drop out and do things that are a, a little unscrupulous. Here, here's what I'd propose, though. If, I, if you were advocating that we need something, we need some centralized list that we can plug people in, but it can't be, and I agree with you 100%, a unilateral decision from the auctioneer yeah. that has no response from that bidder. Or uh, I get really frustrated when an auction company gets upset, and I, I've, I've seen this on, on Facebook on the, on the uh, messages before, where people said, you had no right to give my bad review of this person out to them. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, for crying out loud, if you're going to go in and flag, I can tell you this woman in by Topeka that stole stuff off the table, I wouldn't care if you called her twice a day and told her I flagged her and put her in a system. I would love to talk to her about her practices and what she did wrong. Yeah. So absolutely. if you're embarrassed by that or you think, well, I don't want them knowing I put them, then don't put them in the system yeah. because it obviously wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, coarse enough. It wasn't abrasive enough to you that it's a real issue or you shouldn't have done that. So here's where I'm going with this conversation. What if the system was built where, let's say Mike Brainley has somebody that doesn't pay their bill, steals an item, um, you know, d- does a, a variety of things. He plugs them into the system. Mm-hmm. That person gets notification. And Mike knows this. He, when you put them in, we, we will notify them, reach out that you've just been added to the national bad bidders list or whatever yeah. this, this list is called where they can go in and give a response because mm-hmm. eBay, they allow that. Yeah. You know, right. bad customer review. Well, most review systems allow that. That's yeah, You get a bad, bad review. Well, you know, here, I, I had a heart attack. I didn't respond to you for two weeks. Yeah. I'm a good person. I'm a good bidder. I, you know, how can we make this right? They can clear it up and they can retract that. They can take the flag off of that person and pull them off that list. Yes. I think you just mentioned like where I would think it should go is a review system of bidders rather than one guy getting on the list. All bidders are already on a list and they get rated based on things they may have done or not done or whatever, or 
not at all, like, unknown, you know. Um, I've told you before that my husband's a sneakerhead. So they do, um, he collects Jordans is what that means. He's got a whole wall of shoes at, at our house. Um, but they do like special shoe drops like Nike. His room smells like feet. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> no, he doesn't wear them. They're just pretty to look at. Um, you can buy wear them. I mean, they're, they're uh, collectible, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't want to wear them because you're not going to make the money on a used shoe that you do and whatever. Um, long story short, so what these apps, um, how this actually works is uh, they dr- they do a sneaker drop, right? And there's like three apps that are all doing the same drop. And uh, you put your name in on the drop and maybe your name gets called to be able to go up and pick it up early or something like that. Well, you're in the database of this sneaker drop database or, you know, on, on this app. And if you don't ever go pick up those shoes, you get a little flag saying, hey, this guy didn't pick them up last time. Yeah. You know, or he did pick them up. So we're going to continue letting him get these drops. And then if you get flagged, would you have a chance to respond to say, well, here's why I didn't pick those up? Um, No, nope. There's no response on there. You you didn't pick up your shoes three times and we we gave you this drop, you know, and maybe he didn't even want the shoe because it's this sneaker got dropped and you're allowed to go get this sneaker. You may not have wanted that sneaker, but there's no way to go around that. It's just he didn't pick up five pairs. He's not interested in actually being on this list anymore. You know, he's non-responsive at this point. So gotcha. He then gets flagged that he's not going to get those notifications and get the early drops. But in that like instance, that. he really doesn't care because he's right. trying to migrate off the list anyways. Right. But, Mike's- but if, he got, if he did want something later on, he wouldn't ever have that opportunity again because sure. he got flagged. But something along that lines in the auction world could work out even. Just this guy never came and got his stuff. This guy continually never comes and gets his stuff. And it's been a problem as a group rather than just this one auction. So, Mike, to her point, is there a happy medium out there? Is is there a way that a centralized list or a registry of bad bidders could work as long as it offers and affords opportunity to the person being put on the list? I think that would make it uh, tolerable and, and workable in that, I put the bidder up there. I put his email address, uh, or or maybe it's hidden, but I have the email address in there so that this bit, this bad bidder, Billy, gets an email says, "Hey, Mike Branley put you on the bad bidder list. Uh, click here to respond. Click here to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how you. It, it, here's a box you can you can tell a story if you got a story to tell, and uh, somebody's managing that." That's kind of fair-minded. Um, see, I, I, there, there, are, there are bad bidder list stuff out there already. Who's minding the store? Who's yeah. reading responses? Are there any responses? Do they even allow people to respond? I think that would make it a lot better if it was the bidder had a chance to respond. And and who knows? Give them a time frame. You have three weeks to respond. If you don't respond in three weeks, um, non-responsive. Just, yeah. Yeah. No response. Okay. Yeah. And you don't be a bidder and you don't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it's just like a credit score or Yelp review. You know, you can go in and dispute whatever on your credit report and it shows up to anybody that ever pulls your credit report again, whether or not that information is useful to think, whoever's pulling it. I think it has to be deeper than that, though. You have or, to have open dialogue where yeah. people get put in and if they can justify it, the person that put them on the list could pull them, could say then, then I'm willing to retract that statement. I'm, I'm that because they know more about the situ- the situation. If you were to ask me, 
what happened, you know, over by Topeka with this woman that mm-hmm. taking stuff off the table. I know more about that than any other right. auctioneer does. I should yeah. be the one that should say, okay, that may have been a misunderstanding. Now, in this case, it wasn't, but but there are instances out there where you find out a guy had a heart attack and didn't respond to you for two or three weeks. I should be able to go in and take him off of that bad bidders list and say, this is probably a pretty good guy. Yeah. Right. And we're talking about the, the bitter side, you know, being bad behaving. Um, and I don't want to say that we have auctioneers that behave badly, but we could have an auctioneer put somebody on the list that just out of spite or it's there, as I put in the blog, there an ex-wife or ex-husband. Well, I, I don't want her bidden or I don't want him bidden. And, you know, the, the other person says, well, hold on here. I know we had a nasty divorce, but I want to buy some of the stuff or whatever. You know, it could be either side that is misbehaving and the other side should have a um, opportunity to respond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time on, on like Facebook and things like that. Just even in Yelp reviews and things, this restaurant got a terrible review. Well, you came in with 42 people four minutes before we were closing. So yeah, (laughs) we weren't going to serve you. I'm sorry. You know, you can't just give us a bad review because of that. So people are pretty brave behind a screen with a keyboard. Yes. Uh, And so they tend to be a little more, um, well, uh, brave or forward, you know, and, and it's not always accurate or not always telling the, 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 the full the, story. Yeah. Full yeah. That's, story. that's it. You're not getting the full story, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, knowing what we know and the direction the industry's heading, common sense is going to tell you that the frequency of these events that are happening in online auctions will increase. Yeah. No question. Yeah, it's, it's going to increase. Something to combat that. Something to say, as this increases, here is a parallel program that you can just very quickly say, I've never heard of this person before. I'm going to open up my other screen over here. I'm going to put in, you know, Jim yeah. Smith from this address or whatever. Oh, look here. Here's five instances where somebody's plugged him into the system for doing X, Y, Z. Um, right. And I've been in situations, Mike, I I don't know what your thoughts or feelings are, but I I was in a real estate situation one time where, and in a small area, very small market, rural farming market, um, an individual that uh, was not as scrupulous as you would like, and (laughs) the seller said, I don't want that guy registering for my, he was trying to register for the auction and we knew we had a problem. It's not my auction. It's a seller's auction. I went to them and I said, what do you want to do? Here's all the facts. Here's what we know. They said, we don't want him registering for the auction. Right. So I said, well, you can outright just ban them. If you know, it's your auction. If you, if you do that, I I said, now it it may be a little controversial. You know, he, he's, uh, he may decide to, um, you know, to retaliate a little bit, uh, if you can. Um, but what are you trying to do? You know, well, we don't want him screwing it up. So you're trying to mitigate risk. Yeah. I said, what if you just strengthen the requirement with him? And we did not have in our terms and conditions, they, they were not as liberal as, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a Mike Branley follower, you know, true believer. So, uh, we, <laughs> We didn't. <laughs> we all are. I'm part of the part of the Branley organization here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you attend church? Uh, I go to Mike Branley International the School of Mike Branley. <laughs> School of Mike Branley. Um, 
Anyways, we're, we now have, you know, the, the sellers at their sole discretion may require additional registration requirements from bidders that are, you know, whatever. But we didn't have that back then, but we just went to him and they said, well, he needs to put a bidding deposit down. And, yeah. he, and he went away at that point. Yeah. But yeah. we, you know, this is a different subject you've written about several times. We treated him different than the other bidders out there. Yeah. And I, I guess you, you need to be very clear in your terms if you're going to do that. The sellers are reserving that right. Um, up front, up prior. Front. Yeah. And say, uh, you bidders that uh, are wearing red shirts can register with a driver's license. And you guys that are wearing uh, brown shirts uh, or purple shirts, you you need additional requirements. And that's in our terms. Yeah. So depending on what color shirts you're wearing, that's what that's the the, the problem, of course, and we've discussed this, is having terms and then thereafter making an exception to it. Yes. And that's that's just uh, that, that you're just asking for problems doing well, that. There's some recent case law for that, right? Yeah. Well, we yeah. had a whole show about it with Mike Brainley, I think. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, going with that, what if you have a centralized list of bad bidders, do you have to disclose that in your terms and conditions to all bidders? Well, I, I, I think I, don't think I think if tell. it existed, you could add that to the yeah. terms conditions, right, Mike? But I mean, does that add another layer of problems later, I guess, is my question. More, more likely, you would want to disclose it to your seller because the seller would want to know, for example, who's allowed to bid and who isn't allowed to bid. And if that's my sister on the list and I want her to bid, I need to know that, well, there are some people that aren't bidding today. I have this bad bidder list, so there's, you know, I who knows, a thousand people that aren't going to be at your auction today because we don't allow any of those people to bid. I think if I was a seller, I would want to know that. But now are you opening that up for even more problems because you're now allowing sellers access to that list of names, at least the names? Maybe not. I don't know. You could you you could probably just tell the seller that this is the bad bidder list and there's about a thousand people on there that auctioneers have trouble with. Yeah. And I'm let any of them register. And I'm not going to tell you who they are, but I'm, I'm telling you, they aren't registered today. Um, I think the seller would, would, would almost have to know. I don't think you'd have to tell the other bidders who you've declined or why. Put on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They shouldn't. Yeah. No, yeah, the bidders you're, you're shouldn't, but your sellers seller would and, know, but giving those bidders names to the seller might be a problem too. A privacy I, issue. I, I agree. I think going that far to say, and here is the list and you can look through it. I think maybe uh, uh, that's probably not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of moving parts with this. Obviously, um, it's, uh, you know, it may not be a centralized list, may not. I'm not going to say it's not in the best interest of the industry, but is it in the best interest of the consumer uh, of that of that bidder? Um across the board and those are the people that get caught in the net that shouldn't be yeah you know that's the that's the poor dolphins that got caught in the fishing net so yeah not it's not perfect are you going to have somebody on the list that shouldn't be on the list are you going to have somebody that's not on the list that should be on the list and and uh you know it's not you don't bat a thousand here but you uh try to try to at least have a conversation with the other with the bidder if they're on the list they ought to be able to ask about it they know who to contact they can explain if they choose to i think as long as there's open you know back and forth 
where they can respond and they know who to contact. I think I think it's potentially workable. I just think the blanket, hey, we're going to put you on the list, see you later, um, is problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's setting yourself up for failure down the road. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Great insight, Mike. We're going to slip away. We're going to hear from our sponsors real quick. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Mike Branley. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. And we're back in the studio. Trina and I are talking with Mike Branley. About a centralized bidding list, bidders yeah. list, and and being a bad bidder, shame on you. Mm-hmm. You're about to get on a list. If you're doing it wrong, start doing it right. Yes, we're going to put you on the list. <laughs> you get on the list, you ain't never coming off. Oh, yeah, that's harsh. Yes, right. <laughs> oh, Mike, there's um, there's so much stuff going on. You know, we're predominantly um, we sell a lot of real estate uh, in in the company that uh, sponsors the show and what I do in, in my personal life and Trina works on. And in real estate, there's uh, there's been an ongoing um, controversial lawsuit that's been out there that has yeah. to do with commissions being charged to a seller that forces the seller to basically pay a predetermined amount in the contract to a buyer's agent. Yeah. And I think they've they've challenged that. It's been challenged at uh, at uh, the, at the federal level in federal mm-hmm. court. And I just I, I'd like to get a little insight, if I can, from you. I know you're following this, and just uh, kind of pick your brain about some of the particulars of this. Well, we've used this model. Realtors have used this what's called a cooperative uh, model for decades in that I charge the seller a commission and then I use some of that commission, maybe half of that commission in in many cases, to pay the 
buyer's agent. Now, of course, we all we haven't always had buyer's agents. This is we've we've represented sellers for a long time. We started representing as I I believe uh, probably mid '90s we started doing more buyer representation. So that's a a newer concept, and we got to compensate them. So we're using seller commission to pay the buyer's agent. I think the Department of Justice is saying, hold on here. If I can summarize, maybe that we're charging the seller six, but if there's a buyer's agent and the seller is paying the uh, the entire six, three is going to the listing agent, three is going to the buyer's agent, the selling agent, and we'll hold on. So you're willing to sell the house for three, yeah, but there's no buyer agent, you're going to charge me six. Uh, why I think a seller would rightly say, now, why, why am I paying the full, the full boat here? Yeah. Why didn't that switch back down to three if there was no, se- yeah. And some, some brokers, uh, here more recently have adopted a model such as we charge you, I saw on TV, for example, uh, this guy says, uh, we'll sell your house for 2% as low. I think he says as low as 2%. And what's he mean? Well, the small print says, it's 2%, but if there's a buyer agent, it's going to be 5%. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the second part of NAR's complaint or the uh, issue with NAR and the Department of Justice is, um, is that the Department of Justice believes that consumers don't have adequate disclosure on how this works. They're getting into arrangements which they don't understand. And I'm a big advocate of making things more transparent and more clear to buyers and sellers at auction and otherwise. And the Department of Justice believes that that NAR and the real estate, the, the realtor community largely, is not being as transparent as they should be. Well, and I'm going to agree with them. Yeah, I, I I think that I think that may be accurate. I think the typical seller doesn't understand that I'm paying. Um, again, I'm just going to use six. I'm paying six, and I'm paying six regardless of whether there's a buyer agent or not. And and uh, maybe they don't think through. Well, if there's not, if you're willing to take three, then why don't you just charge me three? If there's no buyer's agent, why don't exactly. you just charge? Yeah. Get back. Why- charge me three. And why am I paying the competition? Why do I pay the other side of this transaction's agent, broker, commission? I'm not, I don't work for them. Mm-hmm. They don't work. For, why am I paying them? Mike, I think they're a hundred percent right. And, and here's the burr that I have with the industry. I haven't liked this all along when um, I didn't come from an area that was part of a multi-list service or an MLS um, you know, a reasonable rate, a reasonable commission rate is anywhere from 5 to 7% where I come from uh, selling non-urban property, rural property. And mm-hmm. we're working for the bulk of that commission. Now, we may put something on the table for a buyer's agent if one presents out there. But when I entered the MLS system, it's just it, it was almost it felt standardized where everybody you talked to or every house that was listed, for the most part, 6%, they split it three and three, three to the seller, three to the buyer. Here's, mm-hmm. the, here's the first, and obviously standardization of commission rates, that's, you know, that's, that's a no-no. Yeah. That's, right. that's against the law. But the bigger problem that I have with this, you know, being a broker and being in this business for almost 30 years now, is the listing side of that equation spends 
way more investment in money. Yeah. And absolutely. they're way more invested, heavier, heavy, more heavily invested in that than the buyer's agent is. Mm-hmm. And I'll argue that from every corner in this city out here. I don't care how you justify, you know, how much it costs you to stay in business and operate a website. And every time we take a listing, we take what we're getting ready to list a property right now by Rayville, Missouri. Uh, we're going to list it today. Yeah. Every time we list a property, we're spending on average out of our own pocket thirteen to eighteen hundred dollars in marketing goes out the door right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. They're not spending thirteen to eighteen hundred dollars in buyer acquisition for every buyer that comes across them out there. So that's that's knock number one. Number two is is on top of that, we're having to go out and produce them. We're having to source all of those leads. Mm-hmm. So as a company, we just mailed out, you know, over 10,000 postcards looking for listing acquisition. Mm -hmm. I've never received postcards in the mail in the real estate community looking looking for for buyers. Yeah. 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 You look, let me represent you as a buyer. So the the bulk of the money and and the bulk of the expense that's being spent is on the listing side of that equation. Where in the world did they ever come up with splitting that in half? 50-50. Yeah, that's crazy. Even when you enter this market up here at an MLS, the, the thing that surprised me the most, like, listen, if you're going to charge 6%, charge 6%. And if you're going to split and say the buyer's agent ought to get something, the, the buyer's agent ought, But why are you not 4-2 and two or 5-1? and one Or how did you ever come up with something that's 50-50 when one side's spending all the expense and taking all the risk? Yeah. Well, precisely, and auctioneers are particularly in tune with that because I know a dozen, maybe two dozen auctioneers that list real property up for auction. Uh, they charge the seller maybe uh, or a buyer's premium or combination. You know, they've got commission coming in from the seller. Let's just say whatever that is. And then they put a 1% co-op in the MLS or they offer a 1% commission to the buyer's agent. And what do the agents say? Oh, I'm not going to show your property. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting three percent. I'm not coming. Yeah. yeah, I'm not coming. And see, they're they're uh, worried about their commission. They're not worried about the buyer they represent. They're worried about their commission. They're not being loyal to their client. Mm-hmm. And Sean, you just said, and Trina, how much work? I mean, I've told agents. I just told agents for a real estate auction we had about a month ago. They said you're only paying one. I said, yeah, I'm only paying one. All you got to do is show up. Yeah. You got to sign this piece of paper and be there. Yeah. Here's 1%. You don't have to do anything else. I've worked for a month here. Mm-hmm. And not that it was a heavy lift necessarily, but <laughs> I've worked a lot harder than you're going to have to work to earn one. Yeah. Uh, You've got a predetermined open house or a property showing date. Come out and show them the property. When the auctions, uh, the event's going on, show back up, stand there and hold their hand. I'll, I'll prepare the purchase contract. You you won't literally have to do anything. Uh, they're buying the property as is. Well, what about the inspection? There are they can look at it as much as they want, but it's not contingent on inspections. You're not going to have to deal with finance or I guess they can get finance and you can help them with that, but the contract's not contingent on that. I mean, we're making the life very very simple. Yeah. It it is exceptionally easy to earn one. And I think in the traditional market, the more general issue for the United States Department of Justice is in the um, in just any normal customary transaction. Um, why are we giving the buyer three, buyer's agent three, seller pays the whole load, 
And I wonder if that isn't part of the discussion in that is that is that reasonable that the seller pays, pays the, the buyer? Yeah, yeah. Buy, it's, what does a, what What's the buyer, buyer doing? Yeah. yeah. What are they doing? Here a few years ago, we started we, we started migrating over in the auction business. Yeah. So we may have a buyer's premium mm-hmm. at an auction, Mike. And it's right. I, I have the same feelings that we're discussing on the show right now. And I said, why are we where it's a competitive market and we're having to negotiate our commissions and we're not getting to negotiate them up? You know, there's, there's downward pressure on the commission yeah. structure. So... If a buyer feels that agent representation is important to them, that's something that they want to, let's say, a, a bolt-on, an add-on to the equation, then if you're going to have an attorney or a realtor or your, you know, Broker, whoever, a licensee yeah. come out here and stand beside you and give you comfort in this, I'm fine with that, but you need to pay them. Yeah. So absolutely. there's a buyer's premium in the equation, and I'll use hypothetical. Let's say it's a 5% buyer's premium. At this, at this particular auction. But if you're mm-hmm. represented by an agent, you pay a 7% or an 8% buyer's premium, and that extra 2 or 3% goes to your agent. Yeah. We'll welcome them in, and we'll structure in where they can, you, you, can, you, know, you can make your offer and compensate your agent, but the seller is paying us for our services 5%. Well, what, what are your thoughts this, about that? I, I, auctioneers are the perfect people to solve this whole problem, we should contact the Department of Justice and say, hey, we got the answer. Yeah. We got the answer. Just write it hey, into your start. contract. Here it is. We <laughs> buyers free. So the, the buyer does pay their own agent. Yep. And the seller uh, does maybe pays a, a commission or not, and, and the rest of it goes you know, to the listing side. See, traditional agents don't charge a buyer's premium. They, they, the only place they're getting commissions from the seller, usually, so auctioneers could, uh, we need to get up on, we need to get to Washington yeah. and have a meeting and say, look, let's just do buyer's premium. That would force the buyer to pay his or her own agent. And then whatever we negotiate on the seller side, it's, 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 it's perfect. Um, traditional real estate, they're going to have to, well, as Trina, you, I think you said, um, there are, why not? have a seller commission that is 3% if there's no agent and 6% if there is and disclose that and explain that. Yeah. I think better than what we have now. Absolutely. I think, I mean, the more transparent you can be, the better and, you know, leave it off if it's not a fact, you know, like if there's no buyer broker or, you know, if the buyer just comes off of, you know, off of Zillow or something and contacts your, your, um, selling agent or, or broker where does where's even a buyer agent in there there's not well and to say this uh, to simplify that yeah. what, what she's saying right now is we charge what we charge yeah if a buyer of your house is represented by an agent that doesn't impact this side of the equation exactly you know we work for five percent that's what we sell homes for we work for four and a half percent whatever our commission rate is that's between you and your client which is mm-hmm. a seller and then that contract should be written that if a buyer presents their self, just like coming to that auction, if you elect to be represented in the contract mm-hmm. by a buyer's agent out there, you pay them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're hiring professional services. 
And they have hoops to jump through, too. We've had that conversation as well. They can't just show up on auction day and, oh, here's my friend and agent. She's going to get 2% all of a sudden. Well, the you more know. frustrating thing is you're, you're selling real estate yeah. to a licensee. You're selling at auction out here, and that person's not even representing anyone. They just happen to have a license and want to skin you out of an additional 2 or 3%. Yeah, exactly. That's a no-go. Yep. I wrote, I'm, I, um, I thought I had written about not this particular issue, but around, kind of around this issue. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm humored by what I wrote. I don't know that anybody necessarily read it, but I said, I suppose some auctioneers would say that real estate licensees are hardly the patron saints of loyalty <laughs> with yeah. concepts such as pocket listings coming soon and dual agency. And all of those things I have held for a number of years, pocket listings, in other words, hiding the listing from other agents so you don't have to co-op, coming soon, which means I don't want an agent showing it, I want to find a buyer who's unrepresented, and dual agency, which is not legal everywhere necessarily, um, where I represent both sides to enrich myself at the detriment of the client. Um, We have all these things that I think real, I think, the real estate industry uh, would be much viewed much better uh, and more favorably if we um, worked on eliminating pocket listings, this coming soon concept, and we outlawed dual agency everywhere. Yeah. And we push the we push the concept of transaction broker. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take a, <laughs> I'm being somewhat facetious in saying that, but you know, dual agency, I try. So we're right on the state line. We're Kansas and Missouri. Kansas does not have a disclosed dual agency. Missouri does. Yeah. So Uh it depends on where the property is located. I will tell you, we try to steer clear of dual agency in every opportunity out there and the and the first fallback in that where somebody's coming in unrepresented at that point we will become a transaction broker mm-hmm. and say we're going to help you folks consummate this sale but we're at this point we're not representing either party yeah and i i i i'm comfortable with that although i think what would be uh better is stay with the seller and say, look, I can I can help you. I can be helpful to you. I can give you guidance or advice, but I don't represent you. I represent the seller. So be careful what you say, and uh, stay with the seller. Now, of course, in your in your situation, Sean, if the seller says that's fine, uh, you can be a transaction broker and not represent either one of us. That's fine because you disclosed it. They they agreed to it or consented to it. Um, but if you you know if I hire you, Sean, to sell my farm. And you represent me and give me advice and advocate and, and assist and all those things you should do. And then suddenly you're gone and yeah. you don't represent me anymore. What happened here? Where'd you go, Sean? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you know. a great, that's a great point. Yeah. So, but, but and it, you know, to be stuff. honest, it gets really tricky, Mike. I mean, this is, this is another one hour show about, yeah. uh, uh, about what, what is transaction brokerage? I mean, how are you truly a transaction broker in the auction business with a buyer that comes in? And let's say that buyer is unrepresented and, and uh, you know, we're now we're not it, we're we're an exclusive agent for the seller in this auction. But then mm-hmm. let me start itemizing everything you're doing to prepare this buyer. 
I was on the phone this morning with their bank trying to help them get pre-qualified and ensure they have the money. Mm-hmm. I'm opening up the house and walking through and making sure they're comfortable with it. I'm walking them through the purchase contract. We're going to ask them to sign at the end and explaining clauses. Or uh, at at some point, you know, the, you you gotta you gotta call you got to call it what it is. is You're like, this person is becoming a little bit more of a client than just a customer here. You're doing a lot of stuff for this person, for them to be unrepresented. Mm -hmm. You are, you're, you are, that's a, that's a line that you get closer and closer to. You're helping them. You're answering their questions. At what point are you, in fact, at what point do they think you do represent them? Yeah. I'm sitting, you're sitting down with somebody and strategizing about the future benefits and use of the property because you're a salesman. You're trying to sell the property at auction coming up. That's what I was going to say. Where does that line in? Because you're trying to sell the property for your seller at the same time. And if this guy wants to know what, what is the highest and best use, why wouldn't you answer that question? But At what point do those questions become, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to this guy because he knows what he's doing. Yeah. That's right. And and I have my, I've got, you go, the, he goes home and his uh, wife says, uh, how to go? And he said, well, I got an agent. They're helping me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy's helping. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Great guy. And, 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 and the other side of it, obviously with real, you guys are familiar. You, you represent the seller. The buyer thinks that you represent him too. So he are, he starts disclosing confidential information or what ought to be confidential. Yeah, you're telling your seller, hey, he's pre-approved for a bunch more. So uh, yeah. we're going to yeah. we're getting there. Oh, what a mess! Mm-hmm. What a mess! Yeah. Well, you can't you you can't work in. It's very difficult to work for a person um, with with what would be held as confidential information about. Um, the conversations with their bank as they're getting prepped for that. Yeah. It's like, well, they've got questions about this property in the auction process that would you mind talking to them on the phone? Sure. I'll be glad to talk to them on the phone because it's more about the logistics of the, now we haven't lent on an auction before. How's this going to work? How's this going to play out? That in, in inadvertently turns into a conversation about the value of the property, the perceived or expected sales price, of the property, how much you need down and, you know, the thing is, I sat in a continuing education class probably 10, 12 years ago out in Kansas. I, I took a physical class. I went out there and the instructor, we got into the, the laws of agency and the rules of agency in the state of Kansas, disclosed dual agents, or, or excuse me, scratch that. They don't have dual agency. Um, the differences in, in whether you're a designated seller's agent or seller's agency for where the company's representing them. Buyers, same thing on the buyer side, transaction brokerage. And then I said, let me ask you a question. I said, I'm an auctioneer by trade. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. And here is a stereotypical scenario, you know, out here in rural America and probably in urban America, you're selling a property and here are the things that you're going to engage in conversation and the mechanics of getting people ready as a bidder at an auction where you're doing this handholding. At what point do we cross over and, you know, it's, it's hard to be a transaction broker when you're, you're doing a lot of very personal, detailed stuff, you know, to get people kind of prepped for this. And I'm right. supposed to be exclusively a seller's agent, 
But yet that seller's sale is is not going to perform well if I don't do these things for the buyer. Yeah. So, and I, well, I said, so wouldn't wouldn't disclose you know dual agency in that in that case where you know maybe we we don't give up any confidential information, but we have some duties out there to the buyer and. You know, I tried to talk to her. At at some point, she got so confused about it that she stopped. She said, we're not going to discuss it during this class. <laughs> her eyes started rolling back in her head, and she just, she she got, she literally just got pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I, I don't want you to get upset. I'm just trying to tell you that that does not work in the auction yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had, I, I discussed in, uh, in our case law class around you know we do auction verdicts class all around uh, you've probably seen it i think i'm pretty sure you have and we talk about jackson v smith at the u.s supreme court u.s supreme court said that auctioneers are to be loyal to the seller and represent the seller and i could add to that in our state of ohio um our regulatory agency it says look if you're selling property at auction as a real estate auctioneer you represent only the seller and you have to be clear to the buyers, bidders, I can help you. I can be honest with you to the extent I can, you know, give you information. I, I If I say I'm going to meet you there at 10 o'clock, I've got integrity. I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock. I'm going to be um, as, as uh, disclosed, you know, things that you need to know about the auction, about the property, but you don't represent them. Yeah. 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 Of course, well, bidders don't always understand that. Yeah, exactly. That's where it gets really complex is uh, did did they know, did they understand what was going on? Well, I think I can answer that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Mike, you've been more than generous on here with your time. I, I know that uh, it's it's a little past 11 up there Eastern time. You had a hard stop this morning and we, uh, this has been great. Yes, thank this you. This is thank great you. information as always. Trina and I also love having you on the show and you're such a... Uh, you know, the, the insight that you have is just valuable to the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that guys. Always uh, wonderful to spend time with you. And, and, uh, um, it's just a, it's just a treat, Sean, Trina, my pleasure. Awesome. Thank ladies you, Mike. And, thank you, Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up, uh, this episode. We'll see you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.